Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then talk about it. This is page 526. Back of her hand, her knuckles making a hollow noise on his hard leather vest. Do you think you could convince them that you were disgruntled caravan guards who had decided to turn bandit? Dayton snorted. Hell, I've thought about it once or twice. At a look from Hespy, he snorted. Don't tell me you haven't done the same. Span after span of walking in the rain, eating beans, sleeping on the ground, all for penny a day. He shrugged. God's teeth. I'm surprised half of us don't take to the trees. I smiled. You'll do just fine. What about him? Hespy jerked her thumb at Tempe. Now that he's going to believe he's gone wild, Aiden make ten times what we do for a day's work. Twenty times, Dayton grumbled. I'd been thinking the same thing. Tempe, what will you do if you are found by the bandits? Tempe fidgeted a little, but didn't say anything. He looked at me briefly, then broke eye contact, glancing down and to the side. I couldn't tell if he was thinking or merely confused. If it weren't for his item reds, he wouldn't look like anything special, Martin said. Even the sword don't look like much. Doesn't look like 20 times as much as me, that's for sure. Dayton's voice was low, but not so low that everyone could hear. I was worried about Tempe's outfit, too. I'd tried to draw the Adam into a conversation several times with the hopes of discussing the problem with him, but it was like trying to have a chat with a cat. But the fact that he hadn't known the word miles made me realize something I should have thought of long before. A Turin wasn't his native language. Having recently struggled to make myself fluent in Sharu at the university, I could understand the impulse to keep quiet rather than speak and make a fool of myself. He could try to play along same as us, Hesby said dubiously. It's hard to lie convincingly when you're not good with the language, I said. Tempe's pale eyes darted to each of us as we spoke, but he didn't offer any comment. Folk underestimate a person who can't speak well, Hesby said. Maybe he could just sort of play dumb, act confused like he was lost. Wouldn't have to play dumb, Dayton continued under his breath. Could just be dumb. Tempe looked at Dayton, still expressionless, but with more intensity than the end of the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And I'm going to stir the pot a little bit today Uh-oh. with an assessment of Hespy uh, that is a little bit different than my previous assessments. Like I said, I, I am quite sympathetic of her. I'm finding it harder and harder to think of her as more than window dressing to kind of accompany Dayton's character. She feels super window dressing-y on this page. I agree with that. Yes, much. on this page and throughout the rest, like I, you know, she tells one of the one of the stories. Like the, her, I think her deepest moment as a character comes from when she tells. I think it's the story of Jax actually, which is super important. But throughout most of this, she's l- not much of an entity, not in the way that Dayton and Martin are. She really feels like she's an accoutrement of of Dayton's. And I think a very uncharitable reading of this would be that if a woman isn't beautiful and vexing, then she's not much, she's not worth more than like being part of somebody else's story. Now, you know, I know that how that sounds and I don't necessarily believe it, but I think that is a critique you could level at this character and at this book. And it's part of why I think I look for more depth in Hespy because I am perhaps a little frustrated in the fact that she basically exists to like interject sort of a a neutral stance every now and then and to be part of Dayton's arc but she doesn't seem to have much going on for herself in the in the bigger picture I think that while that does feel true I also feel like Dayton is a pretty basic character and when it comes to maybe like some of the interactions on this page 
what she's saying is is boosting an opportunity for Dayton. She's like, hey, you could do this thing where you pretend to be a care or like an angry caravan guard guy. But like that is still her idea. That is her original idea. It's her intellectual thinking coming through. So even though that like this is a thing that she came up with in order to help out Dayton, it's not like it a like doesn't help out her and it's not like it makes her look stupid. Like she is the person who came up with this plan. And and like Dayton's a pretty basic dude. Like I don't think he's any any less yeah, he's he's like the equal amount of of basic uninteresting as Hespi. So I'm. That's a good point, and he he takes up more space. Uh, I think you know you could temper my critical reading of it by saying that she's someone who is used to kind of remaining quiet and remaining in the background as as a defense mechanism or as a uh, a part of her work. Yeah, I mean, I just also just think that Dayton's loud. I think that we hear more about Dayton overall but we also hear more negative about Dayton whereas when we hear from Hespi we get more things that feel either neutral or or positive in that she is like interjecting something useful into the conversation yeah and like Dayton takes up more narrative space because Dayton is causing problems whereas Hespi does not cause problems the way that he does uh it's also worth pointing out that we're with these characters for you know, a relatively brief section of this book. uh, And we are, we're very zoomed in. So we're like, you know, everything's kind of under our microscope, but ultimately these are all kind of minor characters in the story and they can't all be super fleshed out with, with complete three dimensionality. But I think that given the function that they serve in the story and how much page space Rothfuss has to play with, I feel like, he does a good job for me of making them all feel like well-rounded people uh, who have, as we said earlier, like sort of good and bad qualities. I think it just happens to be the luck of the draw that like, at least as yet, she has not had as prominent a role in the group dynamic because, you know, Quoth kind of looks up to Martin. He has to sort of put Dayton in his place and he has to solve the mystery of what's going on with Tempe. It's not clear yet what, if any, kind of problem or or opportunity Hespi will present for Quoth to overcome. But I don't remember this section of the book well enough to say whether or not that becomes a thing. We will just have to see. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate that with so few female characters who take the stage, the ones that do take the stage are placed under more scrutiny and feel like they have to do more work to kind of pick up the slack that you know, there aren't that many female characters front and center in this book. I, well, it's, we have very different perspectives because I was going to say there's so many other interesting women in this book that I can kind of like it doesn't bother me quite as much that Hespi isn't as uh, front and center because there's like at least four or five other women I could think of who are important to take up much more space. You're, that's a good point. In this book, there are quite a few. I think of the name of the wind, the whole series, the king killer, whatever you want to call it as not having that many, as having sort of a handful of, of important female characters. But this book, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, once we get to the Adam, there's an awful lot. Uh, there's Devi, of course, and uh, Denna and Fella. I think maybe it's it's a side effect of having been at the university and then having been at court 
I don't know. Like, there's only so much you can chalk up to world building, right? Because ultimately, the world, you know, the world that was built was a was an authorial choice. You can't just say, "Oh, there were no women at the university because there's no women at the university. There aren't that many." When the author could have made it that way, I don't know. Like, it's part of the point, I guess. Like, I think this book is making a comment on the nature of systemic sexual uh sexism uh at some level i do think that it's certainly conscious of it like it's it's a choice made with intention to have fewer women at the university and it's a choice made with intention to have the world be one where denna has to live the way she does in order to gather the agency that she needs to exert her will on the world so maybe my opinion will change once it's all finished uh, maybe, you know, a read that you could bring into this book is that Quoth, despite all of his shortcomings, still enters the world and is able to achieve what he does because he comes from a place of privilege, more privilege than someone like like Denna. Like maybe that's the point that the book is trying to make. I don't know yet, but uh, you could certainly take it to it with that lens. And I think you'd come away with an interesting reading. Yes, I think it's yeah, it's nice to discuss. It's good to it's nice to it. discuss. Also yes. nice to good, discuss. good, good to discuss. Nice to throw around. <laughs> <laughs> I am out of notes on this page. My only other note is that the other characters all seem to think that Tempe is is stupid, or maybe even like not right in the head, uh, and that is an assumption that Quoth has not made out loud, but he he has like wondered about it. And Tempe's about to show them that they're all that uh yeah, he's not the dummy, they're the dummies. So I look forward to that on tomorrow's page. Very exciting. We pointed this out on a previous page. We came to this conclusion before Quoth did, but Quoth is finally figuring out that Tempe's quietness might be due to him not having the language so much. Indeed. And I believe you you started the sign off, Jeremy, so I will continue with of the wind. wind. wind.